I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Uh, welcome to Q. Today, my conversation with the Canadian filmmaker Matt Johnson. And we're going to talk about a Canadian film that's getting a lot of attention these days. Uh, Matt made this movie called Blackberry, which is about, well, you know, Blackberry, the phone, and the rise and fall of a device that really changed the world. And if you're listening to this outside of Canada, you might not know that Blackberry, the device, and Research in Motion, the company that made or, or makes it, is and were Canadian. I will say this film in no way shies away from the Canadianness of it. For instance, in just one film, audiences all around the world, including like Oscar voters, are seeing Waterloo, Ontario, Cops Coliseum, Don Cherry, the Bank of Montreal, a Canadian $20 bill, and the longtime dream of wanting to own an NHL team. And behind the film and the creation of this entire Canadian apparatus is the filmmaker Matt Johnson. Matt Johnson's from Ontario. He got a lot of attention as a young filmmaker for making these films like The Dirties, where he secretly filmed inside a high school, Operation Avalanche, where he secretly filmed inside of NASA, or his TV show Nirvana and the Band the Show, where he secretly filmed kind of everywhere. And he became known as sort of this prankster, outsider filmmaker, one who wasn't afraid to call out the problems he saw in the old school of Canadian filmmaking. So what happens when an outside filmmaker gets invited inside? How do you approach a film like Blackberry where the people you're portraying are still very much alive? And why did a film about an outdated piece of Canadian technology capture so much of the world's attention this year? Blackberry has been recut into a three-part CBC Gem limited series, which is streaming now. And when I spoke with Matt Johnson, I started out by asking him, like, how this came about? What came first, the film or the series? Well, it was made as a film first, but what's interesting about it is that it began literally at the CBC, uh, and they were the first people to option the book, which, uh, if you don't know, it was um, two journalists from the Globe and Mail wrote a book called Losing the Signal, yeah. which was essentially charting all of the facts of the case. And the CBC optioned that, and I think for years, they were trying to develop a limited series for it here. As I, I don't know what their idea was for it, but like a three or four part limited series. Like with you attached? Or? No, oh. this is I, I didn't even know this was going on. And then I got asked in concert with the CBC and Rhombus Media if I would come in and write something for it. And then that just spiraled out of control where it went from me and my writing partner, Matt Miller, uh, writing a limited series into realizing, oh, I think that at its core, this could also be a film and because this was during the pandemic, development was really going all over the place. And in Canada, there is a real pressure to create American investment in your projects in order to get them to a certain budget level. Because Telefilm is only willing to fund movies up to around 50% of what their budget is. And so there's all these secret little wires on Canadian filmmakers that nobody sees, which is that although it may seem like most Canadian films are 
Canadian owned and Canadian run, the people who actually call the shots in terms of casting uh, so much creative control are oftentimes American sales agencies who come in and finish the budget. They give you the rest of the money that you need. And there's so many strings attached to that money. And so my strategy as I've, I've started making more and more movies as an adult is to try to limit that influence as much as possible. Hence why we realized, oh, if we make this as a film and a limited series at the same time, we can reduce that American investment to almost zero by working with the CBC and Telefilm. So you're thinking to yourself, um, all right, I have an opportunity now to make this film about Blackberry, yes. which is a Canadian company, very Canadian story, but also seemingly based on your own like sense of personal freedom as an artist, you're like, how can I keep those sales agents out my work. How can I specifically control who I put in this movie? Because I wanted to cast the people that I wanted to cast. Yeah. And I was not going to be able to do that if, uh, if we had a huge investment from America, which uh, oddly enough is why the genesis of this limited series into film wound up being so creatively powerful for me as a filmmaker. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds, it like, unbelievable. You, it sounds like you managed to like circumvent a real awful restriction. Yes, and it was it's a miracle. And I, in no small part, the success of that film is because we completely controlled it. And had we not, um, well, I mean, I, I, I can't tell what would have happened in that other reality. Why is not doing that? L- l- listen to me. U.S. Robotics is building their own phone. We are now in a race to get this thing to market and we are a year behind. So I don't care what you need to do. Get these nerds to drop everything and build this f-ing phone how is how is the success of this film going for you i know that seems like a, a broad question but I, well you and i were just talking we, we did meet um i think it might have been eight years ago one time but i know you through your work i know you through uh mainly through nirvana but i know you th- i know you through your work I, I would say like sort of largely outsider work how's getting all this sort of mainstream attention through blackberry the movie came out in May, and I realized after our premiere that my life had completely changed. I am sort of an outsider, almost like a prankster filmmaker. Like I, uh, one of the unfortunate things about um, staying in Toronto is that I always had a vision of myself as an adult, which was somebody who who really was a prankster and and, and got to play at the outside, got to be at the margin. Right. Who was on your mind? Did you have someone in mind? Tom Green. Right. Um, which ironically centering Tom Green destroyed him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Giving him the, the going from the interview, you talked to Freddie got fingered, becoming a destroyed him. Yeah, right. Yeah. All of a sudden it, I, I see this happening more and more as I get older is that these kind of Andy Kaufman, I saw the same thing kind of happened. Like as soon as you bring these people into the center, right. Sasha Baron Cohen brought into the center. Like you can't, the magic just disappears because you can't see an outsider in the middle the same way. Okay. And I felt like a lot of my identity was going to come from uh, dealing with things on the edges and uh, like experimenting with form, whether that's like comedy or whatever. And and so the relative mainstream success of a movie like Blackberry has uh, has put that in major tension for me. And I'm just sort of figuring out how to deal with it. How, how are you doing with it? Oh, I feel great. Like, again, I, so, I, I, I should be clear. The, re- the reason I ask is I find that tension really, really, really interesting. Oh, I, sure. I find the tension of people. I mean, I can come, I come to this from music. I come to people who like make outsider weird, weird folk music. And all of a sudden they find themselves on like a major soundtrack to a film. And all of a sudden they're playing Carnegie Hall. And all of a sudden it just, there's a tension there that's really interesting. You, well, you saw MGMT basically went the exact opposite way with this when all of a sudden they were like, oh my gosh, we're like the most popular band in the world. And then everything after 
after that has just been a bizarre art experiment and they have gone like they have completely resisted it um it's it's funny i mean i I guess it's sort of a very real uh uh i don't even know if it's a problem but that's just sort of what winds up happening but i'm sort of i'm trying to figure out what my identity is supposed to be uh, now, because it's so much easier. It's one of the reasons I wish the film, the Canadian film industry was was much bigger, and that there were still a lot of big players. Like I would love to be like the weird loser that everybody you know thinks is odd and pays no attention to, because it's a lot easier for me to work that way. Yeah, you, you brought up Nirvana, the band, the show. That's a much easier show for me to make when I have no expectations of myself. Nobody has any expectations of me and I can freely be in the public um, doing whatever I want anonymously. Um, Not that that's changed hugely, but it's like the nature of the work. I don't know. We were just, we're shooting a a Nirvana the Band movie right now. Oh, are you? Yeah. I just, I just got back from New Orleans. We were there for uh, two months, not in New Orleans, but throughout the continental United States. And there is a kind of different feeling doing that now. And trying to reinvigorate and reignite that that kind of prankster kid who has no sense of consequences and no sense of gravity at this age, especially after having made this movie that people are telling me I watched this movie with my parents and right. I loved it. And if I'm if I'm if I get this right, the, the I didn't know you were shooting Nirvana the, the band the movie, but I what I've heard is that um, you're doing sort of you're still sort of doing that guerrilla filmmaking while having sort of awards season screenings of, of at Black the same Theory. time. That's yeah. a weird. That's a weird tension. What what are those things like? I've never. I, mean, I I feel like you're good at revealing the peering behind the curtain a little bit. I didn't even know these things existed. Neither did I, and I learned about it quite a bit. And the the idea of uh, we had uh, uh, two really good friends who had just made an amazing short film about a polar bear. Uh, Jack and Gabby. I, you might have even seen this. It was shortlisted for an Oscar. It's basically a no dialogue short film that was, I think, instantly bought by maybe National Geographic. I don't know. And it is like an 11 minute short film where you're just watching the life of a polar bear as it gets kidnapped and flown away on a helicopter. But but it's from the point of view of the polar bear. It's a masterpiece. They're making a feature version of it right now with A24. But they went through this the year before. And they told me about it and they were like, you have no idea. It's crazy. Like you're meeting all these people and there's so much pomp and circumstance and more than anything, so much money Mm. gets spent Mm. behind the scenes Mm. in this fervor around award seasons. It's unbelievable. It's, it's very, um, it, it, it's almost like Oscar Wildean. It's like, it's, it's very much of the high court. These are the sophisticated people. You know, it's like a secret society is what it like, really what feels is, like. What is it? I mean, so in my mind, you're all, in my in my mind, everyone there is wearing tuxedos and, uh, you know, like Victorian era masks. And oh, you think it's like a... Uh, what's it called? Eyes wide shut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's, a, you know, and they're, they're drinking martinis and you're standing up and going like, hey, so this is my film. You guys control the Oscars. Please, yeah. please make, give this a... You know, that's how I see it. You no, know, weirdly, it's it's much more um, informal and it is a lot. Well, look, every event is different. So, I mean, and I'm such a neophyte that for me to say sure, this I, is what yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is going to make me seem completely and totally ignorant. Um, but I'll say from, from my point of view, it has been extremely gratifying to see the interest from mixed generations around a film like this. But I had no idea this world existed, which is the voting bodies and the critical bodies yeah. of the film industry in North America—it's massive. It's a—it's a—it's a, it's a whole culture. It's like—it's like the fashion world. 
How did you find yourself getting interested in, in this story anyways? Like, I, I understand you, you read the book, and I asked that question intentionally. Like, I understand that you read the book and you have the opportunity to make the film. But, like, even just hearing what I, what I did about you, what about the Blackberry story was, was grabbing you? I'll tell you, at first, I was deeply uninterested in it. So I, I read the book and I thought, okay, this is a compelling business story in a way, but I myself am not the person to do this, and I don't know why I was asked. And if you were to ask the people who who uh, wanted me to make the film, I think they'd be like, oh, this needs like a kind of new energy or a, or a or new take or whatever. Yeah, and but, you had this reputation as sort of like a like someone who's going to break barriers. What, iconoclast. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so maybe they thought that that would be like a, an interesting mixture, but really I didn't take to it at all. And it wasn't until... I viewed the story of Research in Motion and specifically those three main guys, Jim Balsilli, Mike Lazaridis, and Doug Fregan, as exactly what it was like for me around the time that you and I met eight years ago, young men who are almost in a kind of fraternal environment dealing with a, a early success. And what that does to the fragmented egos of three very different people who all view work in a different way, which I do. Because I think, uh, depending on who you ask, I think I come across me personally as very different people. And it was something I was realizing as I was meeting more Nirvana the Band fans in real life. And what I kept experiencing was people who met me and were expecting me to kind of be like crazy or um, kind of zany, like like funny, okay, you know, yeah. like 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 basically high energy, yeah, high energy and irreverent, yeah, like a, almost like a, the cartoon character that they see in the show, very much like the character I play in Blackberry Doug. Yeah. It's like they thought that's what I was, and I was feeling like, oh man, this is so strange that all my friends don't see me this way at all. My family doesn't see me this way at all, but I've created this persona that people think, oh, this guy is just playing himself. And I, I found that so, I, well, I don't know what my conclusions were about it, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I thought, oh, maybe I can investigate this triad in this movie and I can divide these three parts of my psyche into three people because I, like Jim, am very interested in working hard and and going to work in order to accumulate political capital. Yeah, achievement. Right. A- achievement and even the dark side of that. Yeah. Right? Like I'm Ambition. not I'm not afraid to admit like a kind of like sharp-toothed almost evil ends justify the means ambition is well within. You got a bit of that. Hugely. Yeah. In fact, if you look closely <laughs> at Nirvana the band or the dirties, yeah. I mean that's essentially what I'm expressing. Yeah. The the message of most of those films is, you know, the ends justify the means while also the, but they're all tragedies. Like they all destroy the character. Yeah, yeah, so I'm yeah, acknowledging yeah. don't actually do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but okay. that's certainly me. And then this perfectionist who is willing to alienate people and destroy his own life in search of something that he can't even quantify as perfect, just like Mike, that is also me too. But then I'm also the kind of person who's like, let's just party. I don't care. I just want to be with my friends. Yeah. I want to go into work whether I'm being paid or not, because I'd rather be here than anywhere else. And I think those three forces or those three psychologies really are at war in myself. And I thought, oh, I can try to work this out in this movie. And so as soon as I saw that, I really clicked with the material and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Is it, is it harder when they're real? Oh, this is a great question. And one that I obviously get faced with a lot, which is, I mean, you're basically walking down the road sort of towards a sense of almost ethics or morality, right? Because one of the things that 
you never realize when, when you're making a movie like this, especially with your friends, is that, oh, this is really going to affect people, especially the ones that were showing their lives. Like, I mean, I mean, this movie has affected Jim Balsillie's life. It certainly affected Mike Lazaridis' life, although I, I haven't gotten to speak with him. And, and he's, kind a, of, he's kind of, a, he's kind of out of the, uh, all uh, I've know. heard is that he's extremely reclusive yeah. and that he may be living in Greece. Wow. So I, I, w- I, I wanted so badly to get to kind of some feedback from him. What but, was that line Norm Macdonald said? The best thing in life to be is rich, but not famous. Yeah, well, he's done it. Yeah, it feels, uh, feels uh, all right to me. Yeah. And the other guy is a composite, right? The, your character is Well, a... I'm playing a real guy, Doug Freegan, except because there was nothing written about him and I had no videotape right. and really only two photographs, I actually based a lot of my uh, my character on an engineer who I did meet who is like the 20th or 30th employee. And he was uh, a guy who has amazingly become like one of the world's most famous woodworkers. Yeah, I was reading you talk about His that. His name's Matthias Wandel and he... He was the person who gave us all the photographic journals that he'd taken of the ni- in the 90s of Research in Motion, and that's what Adam Belanger, my uh, production designer, based everything on. So, basically, there is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. There's free internet in this room right now. It's like the Force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. He was kind of a prankster, like social convener type guy. He would deny this, but I'm, a lot of my, my portrayal is based on him. Okay, so you're, you're, you're heading down the road of, maybe we should just play the clip. We have the clip of the of Balsilli on The National being asked about the portrayal in the, in the film. Can we play oh, it? Oh, yeah, great. Well, ma- many employees have been very vocal in pointing out to the mischaracterizations, and there's been a, a piece in The National Post today, and I suspect there's more to come. The general consensus is it's 5% accurate and 95% made up. And you do have to remember that uh, I've lived 60 years with the word silly in my last name, so I can handle being teased. What do you make? It's funny. I got to meet Jim right after our our Toronto premiere. I I talked to Glenn, who plays him, two hours before the Toronto premiere. Really? Yeah. Two hours before the Toronto premiere, he was sitting right there. Oh, come on. And I said, how are you feeling about it? he, He I think he was a bit nervous yeah, about being a real saying it. Yeah, he was oh, nervous. hugely, yeah, yeah, hugely. Yeah. And and I look, I know that, be, and that really started to develop as the as we realized the film was going to get a wide release. But I mean, that just speaks to Glenn's uh, sophisticated empathy. Like he really doesn't want to upset the person that he worked so hard to portray. But I got to tell you, I think that at a certain level, Jim is. <laughs> he's saying, oh, yeah, 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 they got all this wrong, hiding a huge smile. Like, in many ways, he comes off as, like, the coolest, most interesting guy in this movie. And, sure, he's aggressive. And, I mean, you might even say it sometimes that he's sort of a prick the way that we portray him. But he gets things done. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Okay. Almost everybody who I meet and, and has, only, has only seen Blackberry, and they talk to me for two minutes, they're like, oh, my God you are exactly like the guy you play in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, I hear that a lot. All the people who've known me my whole life who see this movie and I haven't seen me in a while and I see, they go, oh my God, you're exactly like Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so I- uh, The shadow self, the, the, you know, deep, deep down within the un- unbridled ambition. Well, look, that was my goal. I was trying to deal with this. Um, but but I, I I couldn't be more thankful with how Jim has uh, has uh, reacted. Even even yeah. that is look. 
this is when we were making the film, we were making it under cover of night, letting, not letting anybody know we were making it under a code name because we thought they were going to get an injunction and sue us. Wow. So the fact that the film is out and Jim is talking about it on the national is like. And showing up to the premiere. It's, uh, it, it's like we won the lottery. Right. And, uh. And again, he and, and a lot of his friends, because he's extremely well-liked in the business community in Canada, obviously, I mean, he's a titan of industry. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is, is either celebrating overtly or secretly over the idea that there's now a kind of renaissance of this period in Canadian business history and that it's not going to be forgotten. Because at a certain level, I mean, I can speak to this directly, 99% of the international people who talk to me about this film say the same thing. I didn't know Blackberry was Canadian. What does Re- that mean? What it means is that there, we have no like international legacy of great, like it's almost like this didn't happen on the world stage. Our country doesn't get the credit yeah. for the fact that we invented the smartphone and hopefully this does something towards changing that. Yeah, what's the line what's the line in the film about creating the getting creating the best team? Yeah, it's right, it's in the trailer. It's uh it's it's when Jim is when Mike is saying we can't do this, our engineers aren't good enough and and Jim says You said they were the best engineers in the world. I said they're the best engineers in Canada. Which leads to this global engineer poaching that uh that goes on in the second but half. But there's but the there's a, there, there's a, I mean, hold on. But let me maybe maybe let me skip to the question I want to ask when you said that is do you think about that in terms of Canadian film as well? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. It is. It would shock people to realize that English Canadian cinema has... Good distinction, by the way. It, yeah. it, it major. Yeah, major. Well, it is a major distinction. Yeah. Quebec is a different country in terms of its, its cultural relevance. Yeah. English Canadian cinema has zero international identity. And I don't mean 0.1%. I mean zero. There, nobody outside of Canada cares or knows that we have any kind of cinema of distinction at all. And it's, it's a travesty. And for, for most Canadians, I think the average Canadian also doesn't exist in this country. I, I don't think, I think if you were to poll just somebody on the street, even in a major city, I don't think they'd even be able to name a Canadian film. So is that on your mind? Like, and, and what I mean by that is that you're not making a film about... Oh, I don't know. You're not you're not making a film about the you know, Henry Ford in Detroit, but you're making it in Canada with Canadian with Canadian filmmakers, with Canadian behind the scenes folks, with, with with Canadian actors. You're making a very ultra Canadian film. I was I was intentional in my introduction to say that this is this is a very inside Canada film in some ways. There's right. A lot of references. You know, this is a very Canadian film. Is that on your <laughs> is it on your mind to make a really really Canadian film that's not Canadian? Do you know what I mean? Well, look, you, you, you say not Canadian, and I think that that in well, some ways is a, is a... Not Canadian, given what you just told me. Right. Because in some ways, people will use Canadian as a, a marker of a, like almost indistinction, you know, like, oh, it's so Canadian. In fact, in some ways, it's a sort of inside joke that if you say something looks really Canadian, it almost seems like an ersatz American... It, like there's something slightly wrong yeah, with it, right? Yeah. There's an uncanny valley to it, which is normally what what Canadian means when you're when you're referring to to cinema, um, especially but, in the states, especially when, when they when when you, especially in the U.S. when you say that oh, it's a small Canadian film. Well, it just it has an it has aesthetic properties. Yeah. To say something is Canadian, and they're not positive; they're all negative, right? right? It, it, I mean, maybe you could say it uses a lot of natural light. That's that's that's, that's one thing <laughs> okay, that marks Canadian. So film. you're thinking like I got to make a film about Canada that doesn't feel to use the slur Canadian. You, well, I'm not even thinking that. I think I'm going to make one of my movies. Yeah. And the, and the fact that it's fractally Canadian is. Very 
very interesting to me. And, and, and certainly I like the fact that I was able to cast almost all Canadians that people don't really know are Canadians, right? Like Michael Ironside, Saul Rubinek. Like I want, I I didn't know Saul Rubinek was Canadian. Right. Well, I wanted to have a, again, to, to abuse this word twice, but this kind of fractal relationship within the film where you were having the same experience at the actor level that you were at the product level, which I know sounds so pretentious, but I love the concept of people being like, oh my gosh, I remember that product or actor. Oh, and I didn't know that they were Canadian or it was Canadian, right? Like I wanted that experience to be happening on multiple levels throughout the film, um, which is why there's so many of these amazing character actors that I wanted to kind of bring out and showcase in the movie and, and have audiences react to them, hopefully the same way that they'd react to, uh, to Blackberry itself. It's the first part of my conversation with the Canadian filmmaker, Matt Johnson. I have to say, when I was talking to Matt and he was talking about, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, about why one of his goals is to always be able to make the art he wants to make in Canada. And you just heard the way he, you know, he wanted people to realize the amazing things that are Canadian. Is he secretly kind of patriotic? You'll hear the answer after this on Q. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. Hey, I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the Canadian filmmaker Matt Johnson. We're talking about his movie and series, Blackberry. If you've been listening so far, you can probably tell that Matt has put a lot of thought into the Canadianness of this film, both the subject. Um, so Blackberry is, is about the Canadian device and research in motion, the Canadian company that makes them. But he also talked to me about how Canada was on his mind in terms of how he cast and how he created the film. And I wanted to go a little bit deeper on that because I speak to so many Canadian filmmakers on this show who either intentionally or because they had to, they they moved to L.A. or New York or London to make the films that they wanted to make. And I wanted to ask him more about how he thinks about Canadian identity when it comes to his work and, and why he hasn't left. And the way he answered got us talking about patriotism and why he thinks there's an opportunity for a new generation to redefine Canadian cinema on an international level. So yeah, this conversation went a couple of different places and I found it really fascinating. Here's more of my conversation with Matt Johnson. Where does that come from, Inya? That thing you just told me about, like I said, you know, you were trying to make a non-Canadian film. You said, no, 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 I'm just trying to make one of one of my films. You, well, look, I'm Canadian. My dad, when I was a kid, it was so proudly Canadian. He's such a patriot. And uh, he would always say, you know, we live in the best country in the world. We just have a marketing problem. And... I am, I guess, in some ways trying to uh, be the living spirit of that. And I'm trying to, especially for young filmmakers, which has sort of been like the mission of my, I think my life, like my B plot is basically trying to get young people to believe that they can make interesting movies in this country and they don't need to leave. Because I think worse than all of the national problems we have, the funding problems, it, like our, our own insecurity about our identity, worse than all of that is the fact that 
the major marker of success for any artist, musician, filmmaker, whatever, is to leave. You get out. Exactly. And I think that so long as that remains the number one goal of every young person who wants to make it, we're never going to be able to cobble together a, a meaningful creative identity in this country because we're going to lose all of our role models, which is the, which is the world I grew up in. I couldn't name a Canadian filmmaker that I wanted to be, right? It's why somebody like Tom Green was so powerful for young people like me because he was like a complete and total outsider and a maniac. And, you know, he's, I look at him now and I'm embarrassed. He's like Weird Al in but, a way. But there's something, there was something exciting that he was like those, I remember the stuff that I first watched. It was from Ottawa. Ottawa, you on know Ottawa I mean? Channel 10. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah, and it like even crazy. in Newfoundland, we got some of that, like some of it would get played on much music and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? And there was something exciting. You're right. There was something that was more exciting to me that it was being done in Ottawa than it was done when he was doing it in LA. Hugely. Yeah. Hugely. Yeah. And, and, and. Outside of that, I really had nobody to look to. And so I hope that at least in the next decade, that changes in a major way. And I mean, it's not going to be, it's going to be a huge job. It's going to be a huge job. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and, and I'm trying my best to try to figure out solutions to it, but I'm not like a policymaker or a politician. I actually have no experience whatsoever in how to retain citizens no. into, a, into a community. But Montreal did it really well with musicians. Um, I don't know what we do. There seems to be a growing cabal of filmmakers in Toronto. Um, yeah. And that's worth celebrating and, and optimistic, but God only knows. I mean, is, is, is there, a, this is a big question, is there a world in which we're going to have to rely on those funding bodies less? Is filmmaking changing? Look, my goal, as, and I've stated this publicly many times, is that our problem is that if, if you look at our country in, in sort of a sports team term, is that we are not spending nearly enough money on rookies and almost our entire budget cap is going to like veteran players who need to retire. Yeah. Right. We have a risk averse, nice culture. And what that leads to is everybody knowing one another mm-hmm. and it being very difficult to say no to your friends. Mm-hmm. And I think we're stagnating because of that, because with one tenth or one one hundredth of the amount of money we spend on uh, more experienced filmmakers, we could be financing hundreds of kids to make movies. And if they get their start and do something interesting, they'll stay. Because I just know when I was making my first film, if I was feeling like, oh my God, and my country wants me to do this, this is crazy. I can't believe my country's allowing me to do this. Like it just lets them know that they've got a home here. Um, And again, this is maybe like a bit like blue sky thinking, but I think that- It feels kind of patriotic to be honest, man. Yeah, 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 right. It It feels kind of like, you know, it feels like- yeah, which at a time when it almost seems like patriotism is is uh, is not in vogue at all. But it, 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 like I think that there can be a Canadian exceptionalism that comes from the fact that we're lacking a national voice. I always pitch this to film students as an opportunity for them to step into a gap because we're totally undefined in terms of what the world thinks Canadian means. Totally undefined. There's a vague sense that we're nice, right? And and. If three or four major voices in filmmaking were to step into that void, it would define their careers, define their careers. I, look, I don't think it's going to be me. I think it's going to be somebody who's like 20 or 19 years old right now who is given an opportunity to do this and does something that we haven't seen before. But, but to your question, is this talking about a, um, 
I mean, because it, it seems as though a conservative government is coming in. No, that... no, I'm not. I, it wasn't a question. My question wasn't, is this out of some sort of sense of patriotism? Because that's not, ah. my, that's not my sense of you. My sense of you is freedom. My sense of you is, from, your, from looking at your work over the past few years, and especially over the past couple of days getting ready for this, is that you really don't want anyone to tell you how to make or how you can make the art that you make, including, so that include funding bodies, that can include American sales agents, and that can also include, I have to leave my home. I have to yeah, well, somewhere. right, and that's just kind of almost us. Uh, social uh, uh, rules that are put on you, which which I still very much feel. Although, you know, don't be so fooled. I, I give the sense that I'm like a total anarchist, but like uh, rules are like the best thing in the world for filmmakers. I love rules. Well, I, I love them. That's because you're Mike and Doug and Jim. You're right. Exactly. You're all, you're all three. Yeah. And I can't get rid of any of them. But no, but the, the, I think about this a lot in my own life. It's the tension of those three things that makes you who you are. You can't, if you were one of those things, you'd, you'd, I don't know what would happen to you. But it's the tension of all those things exactly. that leads you to who you are. Well, and that, I mean, you basically summed up what, what that movie Blackberry is about. <laughs> that, that they destroy <laughs> that, one of them. That, and, that and a scroll wheel. That's all it's about. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get any Blackberries in the mail or anything? Did you say no, but I, I've, I have hundreds and thousands of them at my office because we had to buy so many of them off of uh, eBay in order to, because they're gone. It's a dead product. Yeah. And so like, I think we might be the world's largest owner of Blackberries in the world. Um, Matt, I really love the film and I really love talking to you. You too. It's a total pleasure. Yeah, man. Nice, nice to have it. Once every, once every seven years, we'll run into each other. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm going to have to make a, I got a while then to make my next film. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Thanks for coming in. It was a huge pleasure. Thank you. A great joy to get a chance to talk to Matt Johnson. His film Blackberry is out now as a three-part series, which is streaming now on CBC Gem. The other episode we have up today is my conversation with another young filmmaker getting a lot of attention right now, uh, Paris Zarsilla, who grew up, his mother was a domestic worker, and he would go to, how do I put this, he would go to watch her at work, and the way he felt watching his his mom um, to do that work often felt like horror-ish to him, and so his new film, Raging Grace, is a horror film inspired by that experience. Go check that out. We'll see you soon, later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.